superstar DJs, massive crowds, crossover hits, and commercial endorsements. These are halcyon days for EDM. As we prepare to descend on Miami for the 30th Winter Music Conference and Miami Music Week, we'll start our look at the state of the genre with a brief history of electronic dance music tonight on this special edition of the Puget Sound Listening Hour. This is the Puget Sound Listening Hour with Michael Jones. Welcome everyone, I'm Michael Jones coming to you from Seattle tonight. Thanks for joining us. This is the first of our special episodes for the Winter Music Conference and Miami Music Week. Both of those events are happening March 24th through the 28th. That's a big week for EDM. The Winter Music Conference is one of the largest events of its kind in the world and one of the most important for the dance music industry. It's a great time for us to stop and think about where we're at as a genre. So tonight, we're going to start out by looking at a brief history of EDM. But first, some fresh new music. We're kicking off tonight's show with a new unreleased collaboration between P3 Over Chaos and Groove Addiction. We open with this track tonight, and it's called Breath of Life.
Right on. That was P3 Over Chaos and Groove Addiction. Thank you guys for sharing that track with us tonight. Let's get into our special report. This is Heat Stroke, an EDM story. After nearly 40 years, electronic dance music has arrived. But now that we've been embraced by the mainstream, where does EDM go from here? For clues about our future, we have to go back to the beginning. We start in America of the 60s and early 70s. That's when a style of dance music developed in New York's underground gay clubs like 12 West and The Loft. Legend has it that a DJ named Terry Knoll was the first to play two records simultaneously to create a mix, and that's when the art of being a DJ was born. By the mid-70s, disco, as it was called, had spread from New York's gay underground to mainstream popularity. The nerve center of it all was New York's legendary Studio 54. Whether it was Michael Jackson or Mick Jagger, someone beautiful, someone chic was always there, partying beneath 54's Man in the Moon with a cocaine spoon or getting fucked on the powder-covered bathroom tiles. No one, it seemed, stopped till they got enough. From this flashpoint, disco would engulf the entire globe. Along with the music came the sexual freedom and the drugs. Back then, we didn't drop Molly, we did Sally, MDMA's forerunner, MDA. And a line or two, or three or four, of Coke was truly a handshake between acquaintances. Over this hedonistic kingdom reigned a queen, a woman named Donna Summer. Her 1977 collaboration with producer Giorgio Moroder, I Feel Love, was called A Song from the Future. It used no traditional instruments and three-word lines. It's said by many DJs and historians to be the birth of today's brand of dance music, EDM. Rock star David Bowie later recalled being in the studio with Brian Eno when Eno told him, I feel love is, quote, going to change the sound of club music for the next 15 years. Disco became the dominant form of popular music and the media became obsessed with the comings and goings of disco's beautiful people. Everything, it seemed, became disco-fied. Even Mecco's disco version of the Star Wars theme made it to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Disco's meteoric rise, though, came to a sudden stop midair, and the genre went into freefall by 1979. Already, the public had begun to complain that the music wasn't really music, that it had become too electronic, too machinated. Disco, they said, had lost its soul. But it wasn't entirely disco's fault that it collapsed. Remember, this was dance music born in the gay underground at a time when America was still wildly homophobic. In the public mind, disco had come to represent gays, African Americans, drugs, celebrities, and shallowness. Disco's demise came as America's economy unraveled and its military strength fell into question. The public had taken a sharply conservative turn, seeking safety in the traditional, like rock and roll. Disco, with its sexual, drug, and celebrity connotations, was an easy target. Disco sucks! Disco sucks! Disco sucks! A Chicago rock DJ named Steve Dahl, who had been fired from his previous job when the station switched to a disco format, started a campaign that caught fire with two simple words. Disco sucks. Dahl began scratching disco records on the air daily, 
and a wave of anti-disco incidents erupted across the country in early 79, with crowds smashing and burning records. On July 12th that year, the campaign reached what for it was a dark victory. At Comiskey Park in Chicago, Dahl hosted Disco Demolition Night at a White Sox Tigers doubleheader. A disco record got you into the game for 98 cents. The anticipated crowd of 20,000 swelled to 50,000. Amid chants of disco sucks and homophobic and racist slurs, disco records were detonated. Thousands of fans stormed the field and riot police were called in. Jimmy Pearsall back in the ballpark and I'm sure glad and I hope they don't let you people see what's going on here at Comiskey Park. One of the saddest sights I've ever seen in a ballpark in my life. This garbage of demolishing a record has turned into a fiasco. I would say there are 2,800 people on the field at the moment, Jim. So I don't know what they can possibly do. As you said, the baseball is no longer the story. It's this crowd yeah, you know, taking we're, over the ball. You know what's amazing? We got the greatest country in the world, but you know what? We have become followers. So many people insecure, don't know what to do with themselves and how to have a good time. They follow someone who's a jerk. Dance music, it seemed, died that day. Luckily, the DJs would save our collective lives. Just as disco gasped its last breath, a fusion of Kraftwerk style electropop, New York boogie, and funk emerged called Electro. The mood in America had brightened by 1983, and Herbie Hancock scored a hit that year with his electro-funk Rocket. It was the first popular single, incidentally, to use turntablist techniques like scratching. By the late 80s, house music emerged, and Acid House lit up London's booming warehouse party circuit. MDMA had replaced Coke and MDA as the drug of choice. It wasn't long before the once secret parties had thousands waiting in line to get in. And soon, the term rave was adopted, probably after the 60s garage band term, rave up. In 1988, Paul Oakenfold opened Spectrum and Danny Rampling opened Shoom, both acid house clubs in London. But on this side of the Atlantic, artists like Fatboy Slim, Underworld, and The Prodigy were imported as electronica and marginalized in the industry. Then along came Madonna. Her 1998 album, Ray of Light, pushed EDM into the mainstream, as did Tiesto's opening for the 2004 Summer Olympics. Over the last 10 years, as electronic dance music has exploded to the point of saturation, so too has the chatter about the genre and where it goes from here. Some people fear EDM is so hot it could suffer heat stroke. As big business invests heavily in the genre, many wonder if that will kill the diversity of music. As its commercial success grows, will dance music, which has been influencing the mainstream, become the mainstream itself? If so, will the diversity and experimentation in EDM dry up? Will it, as with disco, lose its soul when hefty profits become a necessity instead of a luxury? Hey, it's that time. You guys ready to go? Yeah. We're ready. So, what's new? Is everyone ready for our first softball practice next week? We had a lot of fun last year, didn't we? Remember that awesome double play we had last season? I didn't think a human body could move like that. Now, you know, Eric was the key to that play. Eric was the key to most plays. 
too bad. As good as Eric was on his job and playing sports, he wasn't good enough not to get caught up in that raid thing. There isn't much ecstasy when you're dead. Don't be a statistic. Like disco, cocaine, and MDA before, EDM raves and ecstasy have become almost synonymous in media portrayals. And it's true, the genre's past and present has a strong connection to drugs like ecstasy. For many, not all, rolling is as much a part of the experience as is the music. How large corporate entities treat the raver's experience can have an impact on the genre. Some worry the EDM bubble could burst, leaving the genre to go the way of disco, but the comparisons aren't entirely accurate. Social changes over the last 38 years notwithstanding, EDM has done something disco did not and could not, and that's build community. Rather than being built around the rich and famous, rave culture has grown up on peace, love, unity, and respect, plural. If a community continues building around EDM, and we learn from the lessons of disco, there may never be another day the dance music dies. And that was tonight's report. I hope you found it informative and entertaining. Before we wrap up this special edition of the Puget Sound Listening Hour, we have an exclusive unreleased track to share with you. Be sure to join us next week for a very special Winter Music Conference edition of the show. We'll be talking more about the state of EDM with some influential guests, including Alex Munoz. He's Managing Director of Label Engine, the EDM distribution platform founded by Lazy Rich, plus a lot of new music being rolled out for Miami Music Week. Now, if you're an electronic or alternative artist and want to submit a track for the show, you'll find submission information on our website at PugetSoundListeningHour.com. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at ThatMichaelJ and the show at Puget Sound Hour. Tonight, we're closing with a fresh track from Gootsman. It's called Bottom Square, exclusively here on the Puget Sound Listening Hour. I'm Michael Jones saying good night from Seattle and peace.